Welcome to the Competitive 40K Podcast, brought to you by Vanguard Tactics. It's our mission to help you play, progress, and perform at this incredible game of Warhammer 40K, keeping sportsmanship and fair play at its absolute core. I'm your host, Dave Colmel, an American child of the 80s who grew up loving Saturday morning cartoons, trickle-down economics, and Red Dawn. As always, I'm joined today by the founder of Vanguard Tactics, my good friend and 40K mentor, the Margaret Thatcher to my Ronald Reagan, Mr. Stephen Box. Steve, how's it going? So I actually looked over the show notes and I saw that you'd compared me to Margaret Thatcher. Would you prefer Tony Blair? Oh, I mean, it just goes from bad to worse, really, doesn't it? <laughs> I, you well, know, I'll take actually, I'll take any of those two compared to um, what's his face now. So yeah. Anyway, I know I, did, I didn't. I didn't want to go anywhere near anything of, of you know of the last decade, and I was trying to go with an '80s motif. So you know, I figured Margaret mm. Thatcher, Ronald Reagan, both great leaders of the time, or at least yeah. well-renowned leaders of the time. Yeah, exactly. So, and I'll take it. Um, yeah, let's be honest; it's, it's only got worse. So, yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well, though, Dave. Great to be back on the show. Next week, maybe I'll go for Jesus and Gandhi. No, that's that's too pacifist. All right. Uh, <laughs> all right. So, uh, yeah, here we are doing it again. It was we had a couple week break because uh, real life got in the way, uh, but uh, here we are. So, everybody loves your intros. I'm glad. I'm glad, you know, I'm, you know, trying to, trying to make it my own thing. And, and, uh, everybody seems to, I've gotten some, some good, uh, comments. So like I told you loud before, I've got a whole list of them. And, uh, so I'm just going to keep, keep coming up with new ones. And, uh, I've decided now I'm going to try to end the show with a movie quote every time too. So we'll see how that goes. Brilliant. So, uh, well, uh, enough of my, uh, uh, rambling on, uh, so let's get to sponsor acknowledgements. Okay. So obviously massive thank you to C studios for being just absolutely awesome because I went to see them last week. Oh yeah? But spent the day at their HQ and it was awesome. Saw their saw their painters, their team, absolutely everybody. Uh, James Otario obviously uh, showed me around and uh, went for some lunch, talked about some up and coming collaborations, which I'm really excited about. But yeah, ultimately we're going to be working a lot closer together. So if you want anything painting related, then check out C Studios because they're awesome. Yeah, that's great. What's, what's, uh, What's the next army that uh, James is going to do for you? So we're going to be working on my Craft World Eldar army. Oh, nice. So I dropped off the Avatar and all the Phoenix Lords. Oh, that's going to be amazing. Yeah. That's going to be sensational. Yeah. All right. Uh, and then uh, announcements. You are, we, they, um, Frontline Gaming just announced that you're going to be doing another workshop like you did at LVO. And this time it's going to be at the Bay Area Open. Yeah, KublaCon. Awesome. So KublaCon Give us, give us the details. I know it because I, I did the last one, but give, give everybody else the details. Oh, you're putting on me on the spot now. So it's held at KublaCon, which is the convention in which the Bay Open is held at. And um, yeah, it's coming on the Thursday, the day before the main event. And we've got four hours to just cover, you know, all things incredible 40K. So whether it's looking at how to deploy, whether it's player place terrain, and ultimately, I just want to help people feel more confident about, you know, playing the game of Warhammer. So whether you're, you know, attending for the first time or maybe you're not even attending the tournament at all and you just want to come to the workshop. So when you go back to your local gaming store or your local club, you just feel like you've got a little bit more clarity on how to develop a mission plan and, you know, what questions you should be asking your opponent and all that kind of good stuff, just so we can really maximize the enjoyment of actually playing the game. Um, and leave all this sort of anxiety and worry that we can sometimes get or apprehension, you know, off the table and enjoy the moment on the table. 
That's great. Yeah. And I can speak from personal experience uh, that uh, having been to the workshop at, at LVO, not only did, did I enjoy the workshop and get a lot out of it and, and go into the next day, the day one of LVO uh, championships, feeling a lot more comfortable. But uh, my wife, Shauna, she also attended and she also got a lot out of it. And um, it actually helped her dual. She felt like she got a lot of the workshop and that's what helped push her over the top to win her games uh, that weekend. So it's, it's definitely worked the, worth the, uh, worth checking out. Even if you are, a, you know, you've been playing the game for years. I, I strongly encourage people to sign up for this. If you're going to be at Bay area open, go the day early, sign up for the workshop, meet Steve, meet some of the other guys who are going to be there helping out and, and check it out. It's absolutely worth it. Yeah. For, or if you're in the area, just come along for the day, come and do the workshop. Um, yeah. yeah and I think it are just going to be great fun. You're going to meet loads of cool people. Um, and there's going to be loads more announcements coming out very, very soon. So yeah, we've got, I think 30 spaces maximum last time at the LVO, it did sell out. So, um, don't delay and get your tickets before they go. And if you want to purchase those tickets, all you need to do is head over to the Frontline Gaming web store. Or if you are obviously following us on Facebook or whatever it is, by the time um, you know this show airs, then all the links will be on there. And also there is a YouTube video, which you can find on Vanguard Tactics, uh, which, you know, I ask people, why did you come? Why, you know, what made this a little bit different for you? And uh, you can see their reactions and their personal thoughts. So um, and all the links are through that video. Awesome. Uh, and, uh, also please people make sure you sign up for this workshop. We want to, we want to ambush Steve like they did at Las Vegas where he was expecting half as many people as actually showed up. We need to do that again because, uh, then we can keep this workshop thing going. We can drag Steve back out to, to, uh, the U S for the Lone Star open, which I'm trying to get him to go to at the end of July. I'm going to be at Lone Star open. Uh, and we're, we're trying to get together some of the, um, the other Vanguard tactics team members to all be there. So, uh, let's let's have a big sh- big turnout for the BAO workshop so we can um, encourage more of these workshops at the future uh, FLG events. Yeah, sounds good. So, uh, and then uh, you just played at the uh, Manchester GT, right? I did. How'd it go? I mean, I know how it went, but you tell everybody else. Pretty well. No, um, in all in all honesty, um, I was a little bit apprehensive. I took my Harlequins. Um, I didn't take what everybody else took, which was nine Void Weavers. I thought, no. I'm not taking Void Weavers this, this time or any time. Uh, instead, I'm going to take my army, which is my dark, um, my dark version. Um, very combat orientated, loads of bikes, loads of troop units in uh, transports. I don't normally take transports. I normally just run them on foot, get their cardio in. But uh, this event said that the troop were not going to gain the core keyword. So I thought, right. If I come, if I play Tau and SMS, I'm in big trouble without minus one to wound. So I thought, right, I'm just going to have to take the transports. Um, and yeah, I had five incredible games against five incredible opponents. Game one was against Orcs. Um, managed to do quite well in that one. Pushed me into the you know second round when I then played against Harlequin Light with the nine Void Weavers. Um, and again, did okay there. Really sort of you know just tagged all the using all the you know I suppose tricks and tips that I teach on the academy. You know, made sure I knew what my threats were and, um, you know, sort of run rings around the light, as it were, the Harlequins. Then into game three um, and played an absolute legend, Keith. And we, he, using his custodes, he went all in on me turn one, uh, all the charges. And I was like, right, I was not expecting that. Um, and I literally got annihilated turn two um, and then just had to kind of move around, play the mission, 
um, and just keep his dreadnoughts super, super busy while I did everything I possibly could to score as many points as I could. And I won that game by one point. So um, from looking like I was going to get tabled to just clinching the win just by focusing on the mission really, really helped. Then game four, um, up against my good friend Ash. Again, my custodes, learnt my lessons from the day before. That was a little bit more of a convincing win for me. And then game five, played against Brian from Team Scotland um, with his Farsight, Encla- uh, no, Farsight, kind of like... The Allied World? Yeah, with the Ethereal, you know. Yeah. Anyway, so um played against him and I was like, I don't know how this is going to go. Never played Tau before with my Harlequins, um, but managed to get a good solid win there as well, which put me in second place uh, in terms of points scored um, over the five games. And then that made meant I made the top cut to make the top four. Um, and then there's a sh- there's two more rounds then basically for the top four. There's a quarterfinal, sorry, semifinal and a final. However, unfortunately, because I had only picked up a last minute ticket to this event and also I had Jack and Michael and Ben in my car and had a six hour drive home and a lot of filming to do Monday morning, I decided to drive home at the end of round five rather than trying to do that at 3am. Now, I did get quite a lot of stick for that for some reason. I, I think that a few people felt that potentially I should have just stayed and drove home at 3am or made all my friends stay or whatever, but sometimes there's more important things in life than Warhammer, and that is your safety. So yeah, remember yeah. kids, safety first. Yes, don't be driving tired. No, and I get I'm real sleepy. And you're hearing this from Steve, who is one of the largest uh, patrons of caffeine on the planet. So, yeah, I'm good with caffeine, but oh no, it, you know, I, I just don't want to do anything stupid. Um, and I think as tempting it is to play another game of 40K, I got everything else I wanted out of it. I played five awesome games against five awesome opponents. That's what I paid to do. Um, and making the top four was just a bonus. So, yeah, all good. Right. Nothing to prove. Just enjoy your games and then go home safely and live to show up in another time, uh, another event. Sometimes you've got to just, yeah, retreat to live to fight another day, right? Yep. Uh, and speaking of another event, um, are you going to be at the Bristol GT at the end of the month? Yes, going to be at the Bristol GT. Um, so obviously that's actually a local one for me. So if I do make it, I probably could stay and play those wings. Awesome. So now everybody can hold out hope that they can, if they make it into the final cut, they can have their hind ends handed to them by you. Well, I don't know about that, but I'll give them a best shot. I, I, I have faith in my coach. So, uh, all right. So if, um, if uh, you all listening, uh, enjoy Steve and I, um, what's the term? Waffling on uh, as we have been, then please uh, like, share, subscribe, give us a five-star review on all of your uh, podcast services so that we can continue to bring uh, all of this um, uh, content to you guys. Uh, and with that, um, the last time we recorded, you know, like I said, it's been, it was two weeks cause real life got in the way. Uh, but we talked about, uh, you and I just to wrap up something we left behind, we, we were talking about the custodies relic, uh, the Praetorian plate, uh, and its ability to once per game, allow the character that's wearing it to teleport anywhere on the field and land within three inches of a, or it land within an engagement range of an enemy model. Uh, and, uh, essentially it does a, a cross table heroic intervention once per game. And I had asked you, I ambushed you with my question with my keen reporter intellect, even though I'm not a reporter. Uh, I'd asked you if things like the infiltrators, the space Marine infiltrators, Omni scrambler could stop a character from doing that. And you and I have since you looked it up. I looked it up. What's, what's the verdict? I didn't actually look up Dave. 
Oh, you didn't look it up? Oh, I thought I completely forgot. Oh, well, I actually looked it up. And okay. so I will, I will, I will refer to you and, um, uh, the rules as I understand it. So, um, I, I looked up Praetorian plate and I looked up infiltrator's ability. I also looked up the similar ability that the Tau have with the, uh, advanced EM scrambler it does the same thing. Yes. It tell me the infiltrating rule. The infiltrating rule says, uh, models, uh, set up as reinforcements cannot be set up within 12 inches. Now the app says reinforcements, capital R in the codex. It says reinforcements, small letter R and in the tau codex that says capital R reinforcements. So my, the way I'm interpreting it, the way I'm reading it is because the Praetorian plate is activated in the heroic intervention step of the combat phase or of the charge phase, it doesn't count as reinforcements. It is technically you're, you're launching yourself across the table. You are, it says remove the model from the table and set it back up as if teleporting, but it doesn't say as reinforcements, capital R. So therefore, because no capital R, see, this is, this is me being a lawyer. Now, everybody knows you're a lawyer, Dave. It's just, as soon as you start whacking out your big capitals everywhere and your lower cases, I was like, I know what this guy does. Yeah. So in short, let's just think about this. Okay. So the infiltrating thing, the intent there is just so you can't set up as a reinforcement. The guy's not a reinforcement because he's already on the table. Yeah. So he him being removed and set back up, nothing you can do about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Now I did notice that, um, the, well, and the, the, um, and this also goes for the OSPEC scan. So it says, uh, because it says it's done at the end of the movement phase, you can, you can use the CP, uh, the OSPEC scan ability. Um, but, and, and the same thing with the, um, I forget there's a war gear for the Tau too that allows you to do the same thing. Those all say at the end of the movement phase. So again, this is not going to work. So the Praetorian plate is really good. There is, there is nothing that can stop that once per game teleport. So the, the, what you had talked about at the last time of try to bait it out early in the game, make them use that ability because it's a once per game. So once it's done, it's done. And then see if you can bait it out, try to trick them into doing that. And then, you know, yeah. go to guns on, on the character. So that might be probably the same then for the Incarn that can pop up. And it might also be the same for the Sanguinor, um, the Sanguinor. However, he is technically coming in from reinforcement. So that would be the next one for us to check in our uh, loopholes of rules. Anyway, <laughs> um, Dave, what are we talking about on today's show? Okay, so uh, today you and I, um, and, and this sort of leads into this, is, is you and I are getting right here into like really deep into the weeds on on reading a codex but and, and how the rules are written. But we wanted to talk about um, when you're starting, whether you're new to the game or whether you've, you're a veteran player and you just are, are picking up a brand new shiny codex straight off of the shelves at your local game store, how do you start looking at a new codex? You're, say you're going to do a new 40K army, you want to try a new faction. How do you break down that codex how do you decide what what it's good for, what it's not good for? How are you going to implement this codex? How do you read a codex? Okay, so I think aside from just, we're going to start big and we're going to go small, okay? We're going to lay the foundations and then we're going to work our way through the minutia. And like you said, going through the weeds at the very top end. Now, I would sound quite different to most people. I think what a lot of people do is they try and go for all the 
oh, what's the stratagems? What's the combos? You know, all that kind of stuff. Whereas I don't do that. So for me, and this is the advice I'd give anybody, is first of all, you want to look at the model range. Okay, quite simply, do you like the look of the models? If this is going to be something in which you're going to have to sit and spend hours of painting, you better enjoy those models. Um, and before you even try it, get a test scheme and uh, see if you enjoy it. Because if you don't, um, unless you're going to, you know, maybe hire a fantastic company like C Studios to commission paint your army for you, um, it's going to be a bit of a non-starter. So do make sure you enjoy the models, first of all. And even if you have... Even if you are someone like, say, Sam Rowland, who doesn't paint any of his own models, and you are gonna going to um, to go out there and 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 contract somebody like James from Siege Studios or or find another painting service, hire James. Um, you you want to you're going to be playing with these models for months yeah. or years because this is a massive financial investment. You don't want you're not just going to drop twenty bucks and pick up a new army. So. You want an army that you want to look the look of, not just if you're going to paint it, but once it's on the table and you're moving those models around, you want to enjoy playing with your action figures. Yeah. And also, actually, when you start to look at the models themselves and the artwork, you can actually start to gauge a bit of an idea of how the army's going to play on the table. Okay. Um, you see loads of chainsaws. They're probably going to be quite good in combat. You see loads of guns, then they're probably going to be quite good at shooting. So again, you need to start to formulate an idea of um, the play style that this army might give you. So. Assuming you like the models and you've already loved the army and you've bought your codex, you think, right, I'm solid. I'm going to go for this one. Uh, the place you want to start is actually in the rules that you cannot change. You cannot pick and the, and the rules that are completely, utterly set for you. So where we start is in your army rules. Okay. Now these are normally found just before all of your unit entries after the crusade section in your codex. So for example, the Eldar, one of their rules is battle focus. So basically you shoot and then you can move. So what does that tell us about the army's playstyle, Dave? Uh, that they are uh, intended to be um, entirely mobile, but probably somewhat delicate. You don't want to leave them hanging out in the open to, to receive a lot of fire. Absolutely. And then we also find out that we can advance and shoot our assault weapons without penalties. So again, it's, it's leaning into that mobility side of things. The reason why we look here for our special rules is because you can't change them. You can't tweak them. This is what you're going to get across all of your units. We start to look at Harlequins and they're cool. They've all got flip belts. They've got Harlequin masks. So again, they can just jump anywhere. They've got rising crescendo. They can fall back in, fall back in charge, for example, advance in charge. So you can start to see a lot of similarities with you know, how this army is going to try and function on the table. We look at Blood Angels and we're going to get the, um, you know, plus one to charge and plus one to wound. Okay, so that starts to tee up some of our combat um, along with, you know, getting plus one attack on the charge because we've got uh, the Black Rage or, uh, we, you know, we're Adeptus Astartes. That's one of our other key rules. So that's where you want to look first of all is what is this army's main rule set that we all, it's going to be basically across all of your units and models. So then what we're going to do is then look at our super doctoring. So our super doctoring is the thing that, or our mono faction bonus, whatever you want to kind of call it. So again, this is something that you're going to get because you've stuck to a pure uh, custody army. So this is your martial katars. This is your strands of fate. This is your luck dice. This is your doctrines. Because again, you can't change these. These are set for you and for whatever army you play, this is going to be dictate your play style of your army, your your uh, acts of faith, for example, if you're a sisters player. So again, we really want to make sure that we're 
understanding what our army's rules are and then also what we get for actually staying is a pure army because it's going to dictate so many other things because then what you need to start to do is connect the dots okay so this is going to base your uh you know understanding of what the army can do and then after that what we're actually going to start to look at is each of the different chapters or legions or um sedaths or um dynasties you name it um you're going to look through all of those because you actually have some choice in the matter. And most books have got, what, five to six different options for ways to play your army, whether it's Farsight Enclave, Tau Empire. There's lots of different ways to play, you know, your army. And each of those give you unique flavors and benefits. And as we've spoke about on many of our Codex reviews before, we've gone over what they actually include and what they look like. Am I making sense so far, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. You're starting with the broadest the the broadest terms of what the army is, and now you're dialing it down into what are the um, the individual choices and and where you're going to start making decisions, closing certain doors and opening certain other doors for for yourself as you filter down to what you're going to put in your list. Absolutely. And at this point, I'm not making any decisions. Okay, it's just a kind of a fact finding mission. So I understand what my army does, and then I'm going to go through each of the chapters or legions, whatever they are, because. What we want us trying to do is find synergies and I want to find synergies with the main army rules as we discussed earlier and also synergies with my preferred playstyle. So Dave, what's my favorite phase of the game? No, uh, the combat phase. Definitely the combat phase. So anything that starts to um, improve the combat of the army is going to lean into my playstyle. All right. That's what I enjoy most and I want to enjoy the hobby as be best as I possibly can. So if I was to pick up Tau, what what am I going for? Uh, you're going for guns. You're going yeah. for shooting. You want the shooting phase all day long. Yeah. But if I like combat, the only way I've got is to go faster enclaves, right? So I've got to start to lean into some of these areas, which gives me the opportunity. So what we're trying to do here is we're going to create what's called a SWOT analysis. And this is something we teach you on the academy. But the SWOT analysis is basically your strengths, your weaknesses of your army. So that's really simple. That's what we're going to cover now. We're then going to look at the opportunities, the opportunities that you have within your codex. And then we're going to look at the threats to your army. And then after that, we're going to come up with a load of results. And within those results, it's actually going to then help you dictate how you want to deploy your army, uh, your actual final list, how you're going to adjust to the meta, uh, questions you need to be asking your opponent, and gotcha moments you need to be aware of. Okay, so going through the strengths of the book, we can start to see that, for example, let's take the Elder, as we spoke about that recently, battle focus, very mobile. That's a strength. Getting shot, bit of a weakness, okay? Because already our army rules are telling us we don't want to get shot. You've got a fire and fade option for a reason to stay hidden and out of line of sight. So strength, boom, mobility, weakness, getting shot. Then we're going to go into, obviously, then I'm, I'm speaking broadly, but we're then going to go through all of the different types of craft worlds or legions, whatever it might be. And we're going to start to plug in what could be opportunities here. Okay, these are opportunities. So if there's a way to increase your durability, maybe it's Ulthway. Maybe it's ways to increase your mobility even further or ensure you get your battle focus. Then it's Beltan. So again, we can start to piece together the strengths, the weaknesses, and the opportunities in the books here. Okay. So once you've gone through all of those and you've got a really good idea of what you get for getting each of those benefits, we're then going to go straight to the unit entries. 
Okay, we're going to look through all the different types of characters, all the different types of troops, elites, you know, fast attack, etc. Because again, you've got some choice here, but it's not like you've got a huge amount in some books as well. So obviously the bigger the book, the more options you're going to have, but there's going to be a lot of similarities. So what we need to start to do is piece together more of our strengths and weaknesses. So if we start to look at strengths, let's have a look at some of the damage profile. Maybe you've got lots of damage too in your army. So that's a really good strength of yours. Whereas a, a weakness might be, actually, I don't really have much damage three or more. Like the Harlequins, for example, don't have a huge amount of damage three in the combat phase. That's a weakness. They've got really good strength. That is damage two across their army. But then an opportunity is a stratagem to get plus one damage on your weapons. So that becomes an opportunity, which is a stratagem. So you can start to see how we can link these things together. We don't really want to rely on our opportunities. We rather want to rely on the strengths of the codex innately. Okay. Got it. So once you've gone through all the units, you can start to piece together which units you think are going to work best with, um, you know, for example, our army wide rules. So howling banshees don't really get that much benefit from battle focus because they're going to be charging you. They're not moving out, shooting shuriken pistols and running away. That's not their job. So they're not going to get as much benefit from battle focus as potentially swooping hawks, which when they battle focus, just jump into the sky and come back down again, which is absolutely ludicrous. So again, we want to pick these units that are really going to get the most benefit from our army wide rule. Blood angels, again, jump pack units, really good in combat, really, really fast, getting plus one to charge, plus one to wound in combat is brilliant for combat units not so great for a whirlwind. So again, we want to try to have, I would say probably 80% of our army or 75% of our army really leaning into the strengths of the book. Okay. And then what you can start to do is find all the things that you wish you had. If you're struggling with finding a weakness for your army, put in your wish list. Oh, I wish my army had this rule. I wish my army had that. I wish my army had a four plus invulnerable save. It doesn't. Okay, so maybe I don't have any invulnerable saves in my book. That's a weakness because high AP is going to be a big problem for you. So do you see where I'm going with that, Dave? Yeah, absolutely. It's it's you're 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 coming up with your initial idea of all right, this is what my army can do, this is what I want it to do. Now this is where it's weak, and how can I shore up those weaknesses? How can I take steps to mitigate these these threats that are posed to my army? Yeah. So then we're going to go through all the things that are opportunities. These are all selective choices. So whether these are psychic powers, these are warlord traits or relics or stratagems. And then we're going to probably at this point pick a, um, you know, a chapter to be because we want, we want to look at the strengths and weaknesses and think, right, do we want to double down on our strengths or do we want to pick one that mitigates some of our weaknesses? And there's pros and cons to doing either. Okay. Um, you know, you'll find that some chapters will, yeah, give you a little bit more durability potentially, or others will just allow you to hit a little bit harder. So it depends on your play style and what you want to achieve with your army. So do you want more damage output? Because if you go for too much damage output, maybe you don't need it and it was a waste. And in fact, you should have gone for a little bit more durability or potentially you've gone for durability. And what you should have done was hit your opponent a little bit harder, turns one to three, and you wouldn't need the durability. So maybe your um, alpha strike or your strength of your weapons weren't quite good enough so you maybe should have doubled down and this is where being able to critically think at the end of your game and reflect um in a, you know an analytical way will actually help you go hmm what went wrong in that game and then they will start to make better decisions for the future 
So when we're looking at our opportunities, we want to look at the stratagems. Like I mentioned earlier, if you've only got, you know, damaged two weapons, is there a way to increase that anyway? If so, that's an opportunity. You want to write that down in the opportunities box. If you've got a really good psychic power that gives you an invulnerable save and your army doesn't have one, then great. You want to put that straight in as an opportunity. So these are all the things that you've got is your wish list, okay, from our weaknesses. And we need to try to see how many we can tick off. Don't have a fight last. Well, that could be a problem. So could we bring in an ally like an Inquisitor that gives you a fight last option? So again, we need to really think outside the box to, we want to make sure we've basically got the biggest toolbox possible so that we, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, we've got a tool for every answer. Okay. Yeah. A good example of that was uh, for me was when I was doing my SWAT list on the new Tau Codex was I hate dealing with invulnerable saves. It's, it's custodies have routinely been a bane for me. I just, whenever I run into them, the, the, my opponent always seems to roll real well on their invulns and I end up being left, you know, the last, last one, uh, at the dance without a date. So I, um, I look for opportunities, um, to get around invulns. And so that's why I like, I like the Nova surge plasma rifle that the Tau have. So I put that on my commander and then that's part of the reason that I chose the Borkan Sept because they have that two CP strat that allows another weapon to ignore an invuln save. So those, that was one of those choices that I made when I was doing my analysis to, to, to put towards my list. Yep. So you've doubled down on your, you know, damage, uh, but actually Borkan give you a little bit uh, resilience as well, which is also quite nice. Right. Yeah. Having that ability to ignore, to take any weapon that's strength seven or below and minus one strength to that attack is sensational, especially when you're, you know, I, I'm going to be my next uh, event putting out a storm surge, which, all right, anything that's strength seven or less is already going to be wounding me on a, on a five. But that means that anything that was before it was strength five, now it's, it's down to strength four. Now anything strength five or below is going to be wounding me on a six. So that's, yeah. that's a great opportunity. Yeah. And then, but what you sacrifice there, um, and this thing goes down as a weakness is that you don't get many inbuilt rerolls. So your non-core units won't have a huge amount of options for rerolls like maybe Talcept would or Farsight Enclaves would. So therefore, you're going to need to ensure as an opportunity, you then bring in some pathfinders for those Markalites to increase back your ability to get pluses to hit. So you can start to see here, you can you know tackle the equation and that would be a result, a result of you know your SWOT analysis is need to include X amount of pathfinders to ensure markalites. Right. And, 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 it's, and that also goes into, and this is a little beyond what we're talking about here when you're just doing your one codex, but as you start to play test and as you start to go into other factions, there is an increasing uh, number of, of units in other factions that can turn off rerolls. So now that's another threat that you, this faces that your list may face. And so that's why I've actually, I'm leaning, I have a whole squad of pathfinders plus a few marker drones in my list to make sure that I've got plenty of pluses to hit. I'm not counting on my, on my commander's rerolls or on my storm surges, um, stabilizing anchors to get my rerolls. I'm assuming those are going to get turned off. If I have them great, but I'm expecting that those will get turned off. So I'm planning if those are turned off, what do I still have that I can use? Yeah. So then we start to look at threats, and this is obviously what you start to analyze there. That's a threat to you. So a threat is anything that your opponent can do to you. So this is like an external, um, an external um, environmental, whatever it might be. Um, so, for example, a stratagem in your opponent's books. You know, 
one CP, whatever it is, turn off rerolls for custodes, bit of a problem. Um, transhuman, that's a threat. Ospec scan, that's a threat. Infiltrators stopping you from, you know, if it would have stopped the Praetorian plate, that would have been a threat. Um, you know, auto deny powers in or stratagems or whatever it might be. So this is all the things that are out there that you know of to date. And as you improve as a player, you're going that list is going to be a little bit longer. But for now, if you're just beginning, then even if it's, oh, hang on a minute. If your only experience is 40K is listening to me and Dave talk about 40K, then maybe you, you might be able to list three things which are a threat to you. Something that could turn off your rerolls, something that can turn off your invulnerable save, something that makes you fight last. These are all things that we've spoke about in the past. So that you just list as many as you possibly can. Now, Tau being made to fight last isn't really a threat because you don't care. Whereas not being able to fall back from your opponent, now that's a threat because you want to fall back and shoot. So again, it's understanding the threats to your army and really understanding exactly what that is, especially if you're bringing up a new codex because it's threats are going to be very, very different to another army's that, you know, you're comparing apples to oranges every time you pick up a new codex. Right. And then once you've done all this, you then start to look at results. So you've got your strengths of the army. This concludes, like we said, your army ride walls, your units, the things that you can't really change. Then you've got your weaknesses, which are basically the negative effect of what you don't have in your army or options of. Then you've got your opportunities, which your warlord traits, your relics, your powers, all the things that you can pick before the game, then along with stratagems that you can apply within the game. And then you've got your threats, which is all the opponent's armies out there, which might cause you a bit of a problem. So then we're going to get these results. And these are going to be probably the 10 things that you need to include in your army to ensure you've got enough tools in your toolbox to counter majority of the armies out there because you know i used to see a lot of i think this is happening less but you're probably in a facebook group where you've seen it oh i'm up against custodes at the weekend what shall i do what shall i take in my army and everyone goes turn off their invans and take this and take this unit because they can't have a counter to it you're like that's not going to be enjoyable for your opponent you want to have 10 things in your army that can take anybody. So you can, what we have is an all comers list, an army that you can take to a tournament. Um, you know, you could turn up on any planet and um, you could basically do what your army does best. And that is rage war in the 41st millennium. So uh, yeah, we want to make sure we've got all the tools in the toolbox. So for you, like you mentioned, you can need some pathfinders to increase that reliability. What other results have you got when you did your SWOT analysis, Dave? Uh, Let's see. When I was doing my SWOT analysis, um, I think the well, the one thing I didn't do, I, I need to look more into into the mirror match and how to deal with that because that was that was my big loss at my last event was I, I lost the mirror match against another Tau list. So I have to start looking into um, what is that going to look like because I was so used to nobody takes Tau anymore. Yeah, everybody takes Tau now. So I have to I have to look for that mirror for that mirror, but. Uh, so when I was doing my, my SWAN analysis, I was looking at, all right, in my local meta, it's a lot of space Marines, um, some death guard and a fair amount of custodies. So my, all right, how do I deal with high toughness, um, opponents, anything five toughness and above, how am I to deal with five toughness above? All right. Well, I need higher strength weapons. Um, and then what has, you know, dealing with a lot of power armor, a lot of three plus two plus three plus armor saves. So I want either a lot of high AP weapons or it, because um, I, I roll dice like you do, 
I, I want to roll a lot of dice and try to hope that the weight of dice works in my favor. So maybe a lot of high volume shooting for me. Yeah. And, you know, your results as well might start to, the more ex- experience you get as a player, is then actually going to start to impact your secondary choices. So you might get to the table and think, actually, a weakness of my army is I don't have a huge amount of objective secured units on the table. A weakness of my army is that I've got no expendable units for engaging all fronts or, you know, that odd unit to just come in and, you know, retrieve Nackman data for me. So again, you then need to start to analyze what the mission does. So we've done the army now, but we now need to start to think ahead and actually start to plan out the secondaries that we're going to take for each and every mission in obviously the chapter approved book. And this is something I do on my one-to-one coaching is, you know, I help people do this, go through every single mission with their army list. We look at, you know, a different grading from high probability of scoring to a lower probability of scoring. And then we rate each mission with whether it's going to be a higher scoring mission for us or a lower scoring mission for us. If we've got a huge amount of objective secured, then a strength of the army is that, you know, stranglehold is a good option. If we don't, then actually it's going to be a weakness. If we don't have very expendable units or vehicles, then engaging all fronts is going to be very, very difficult, especially if we're a slower army. So then we can start to tee up which secondaries are looking likely for us and which ones aren't. And really, when you get to the table, you want to have at least three decent picks. Okay. And again, I've got like a grading scale for, you know, good, bad, and the ugly. Um, And ultimately, we want to make sure that we've got an okay option or a good option as a secondary pick. We can't just go, oh, well, I take engage and I take retrieve Nackman and I just pick whatever my opponent's playing, you know. It's not good enough if we really want to make sure we've got a solid game plan. So this is where we then go back to the army list and make some tweaks. So a result goal of this might be I have to include a psych, a, a psyker, a librarian, whatever it might be to open up psychic actions for my army because without it, I don't have that reliable third pick. Okay. Yeah, that's and and actually, um, uh, my wife uh, Sean and I we were talking last week because uh, about some tweaks to her list um, since the last event we went to, and I've uh, she's actually going to be putting an inquisitor into her list. Uh, she she shuffled some some units around. She's still uh, playtesting the paragons, but she's putting an inquisitor in now for the availability of. Uh, those psychic secondaries we were we were specifically we're like all right she's play tested a lot she's she's been playing competitive for a year now she she knows sisters pretty well but she doesn't know the psychic phase and she knows and, and we were trying to we were focusing on what secondaries can she reasonably attain with her list and she used to be really big on um engaging all fronts and uh rod last year well it's harder to do now with some of the requirements uh, that are in those secondaries now. And she's finding that a lot of the newer lists when she was bringing in her Seraphim, will just pick those Seraphim up before they can get her any of those points. So we're looking at other secondaries. So now she's going to put an inquisitor into her list just to start doing those, the achieving some of those psychic secondaries. Yeah. And that's great. You know, and this is being able to, again, think critically and analyze and go, well, you know, you, you could look at it and go, well, I just rolled badly. That's why I lost. But if you pick the wrong secondaries, you're always going to lose anyway. So you can't blame dice. You can't blame your opponent because they're taking tower or whatever the, you know, latest hotness is, so to speak. Um, you still need to have a really good game plan to make sure you go on with every mission. So once you've done all this, um, you should have a really good idea of, you know, what units are going to do what for you. So you've done your, you've done your SWOT analysis. You know what results you've got. 
then it's time to actually draw up your army list. And then once you've done that, you're going to then start to go through and allocate roles to each and every unit. So is this character a buffing character? Is it a smash character? Uh, do I want to trade with this unit? Do I want to try to, and when we say trade, we mean basically, can you put your inexpensive unit into a more expensive unit and kill it? So therefore you're basically getting a, um, you know, a positive result from that unit's options. Do you have a unit that's solely going to do actions for you, um, you know, and perform secondaries? Do you have other units that are just going to hold objectives? Or have you got a unit which is going to be coefficient? And this is exactly what we want, is we want a unit that is able to maybe still shoot and do actions whilst being objective secured. So we can do loads of cool things here. We can move out onto an objective, steal off an opponent, shoot a unit down, do an action. You know, this is like the Swiss army knife of uh, of units. But, you know, can we bring a unit in behind enemy lines whilst then shoot. So that gives us the opportunity for scoring secondaries and dealing damage. And then later on making a charge and being, you know, have enough combat potential to clear a unit off an objective. So this unit becomes, you know, a clearing unit to deny your opponent, um, for example, their primary. So once you've started on that, you should have a really good idea of what this role is going to be. Um, you know, you mentioned you've got certain guns that are strength five, good toughness, uh, sorry, a good, good AP because then you know that unit's going to be particularly good at removing higher toughness, high armor save units. Okay. So then when you actually start to get to the table and you're in the deployment phase, you think, right, oh, my opponent's just put down that unit of terminators, which are toughness five, three wounds with a four up in van on the left-hand side of the table. Well, I probably want to put down my unit that's really good at shooting that unit also on the left-hand side of the table. So when he moves them forward or she moves them forward, I can shoot them. So it's no good that unit being on the right-hand side. So when you're waiting for your opponent, you think, right, what's, what unit's the thorn in my side here? And it is that, you know, those Death Shroud Terminators, for example. Okay, cool. Well, I need to make sure I save my most valuable unit, which is the unit that kills my opponent's top unit that I just can't deal with. I need to make sure I deploy that last. Okay. Um, if there's a character you need to assassinate, well, is he on the right? Is he on the left? you know, is she in the middle, then ultimately we need to make sure that our solitaire is, you know, li lining up that charge from being in the correct size. So then we start to actually look at our army list. We've gone through our codex, we've written our list, and we now are starting to allocate roles and responsibilities for each of these units. So when you get to the table and you start to deploy your army, you know where these units need to be. There's no point having a buffing character that's nowhere near the units that it wants to buff. Because if you haven't thought about this at this stage, like keep ethereal next to this unit or keep chapter master next to this unit. There's no point just bunging your chapter master down and then thinking, oh no, I need my unit to kill that unit because that's the problem one, but my opponent hasn't put down the problem unit yet. Oh, I've actually better put this unit back on that side to deal with that one. But then chapter master, he's on this side. Well, you know, maybe formulate a cheat sheet. Okay, so it's in deployment. What are your first five drops? Well, the first five drops might be, you know, I've got three units of crew. I can put one on the left, one on the right, one in the middle. Okay, that's three that, you know, I'm just going to put them there. I don't need to think about them too much. Yeah, indirect, indirect and your, your your units that fire indirect fire, they're going to be great for that because put the, because they don't need to worry about line of sight. They don't really care if you're using especially a Whirlwind, a Sky Ray, uh, a Basilisk, something like that's got a long range indirect fire. Plane? You're going to... 
yeah, tuck it somewhere behind obscuring terrain in the corner, whatever you're going to do and put those sorts of units out first. And then your, your opponent's going to start putting their stuff out and you're going to see where they're going to put or where they're going to likely going to put the units that you do want to target so that when they get those drops, then you can counter drop and you haven't wasted your drops. Yeah. So what you're doing here, put them in the wrong place. yeah, exactly. You're either deploying the units that only have one job and you know where they're going to go um, in terms of playing the mission or you're starting to put units down because they've got loads of options, whether they've got great mobility or they can shoot indirectly or wherever it might be, they've got great range of weapons, so it doesn't matter. So again, you need to make sure if you've got a unit that needs to disembark out of a rhino three inches, move six inches to make sure you get into a quarter to retrieve Octaris data, then you need to make sure that rhino goes on the starting line so that you've got that mobility. Um, if you put it an inch back, maybe you don't have the distance to disembark, move and do that action. So again, you need to start to tee up on each mission where each of those units need to go um, and how they're going to interact with obviously the train, the mission, your opponent. Okay. Yep. But now we're kind of getting into more into deployment and not so much codex analysis, but it is yep. so, it's definitely something you have to keep in the back of your mind. You have to understand the game mm -hmm. and how these units you're looking at, how you're the, the, the things you're reading in the codex, how they're going to apply, how they're going to interact and active and, and operate when they're on the table. Yeah, and this is something that we call the armed approach. Okay, so this is something that I've come up with for the academy. Armed is your army. We've looked at that. We then we've then looked at the rules. Okay, we've looked at the mission now, and now we've started to look at evaluating. So we're going to evaluate our performance. Uh, we're then going to go back to the decision making process, and we're going to go back to our army. So it's like a fully, uh, like a full circle, basically. You know, you're never going to write an army list and just stick with it. You know, like you've probably done, you've probably tried a bit of tail set and realized, you know, you looked at your army, you looked at the rules in the game and obviously what your opponent has rules wise, you then played the mission, you've evaluated and thought, mm, don't like invulnerable saves. Let's try Borkan. So we're back to the mission book. Okay. Well, that, does that change any relics or warlord traits I can take? Because maybe I can't take the tail set anymore. Oh, that plasma, that plasma relic, that's cool as well. So that becomes a change in your list. And then we're back round. We're looking at the army rules of our opponents. You know, we're then looking at the mission. We're then evaluating. We're decision making. So we, but we need to have this kind of uh, mindset of being able to do a SWOT analysis to be able to think critically in order to make really good adjustments to our army list. To, so then actually we execute that on the table. There's no point just going, well, that when I math it out, my unit just kills you or whatever, because I've got, you know, a hundred shots at this and at that. And you're like, well, if you don't get in range, you're never going to do it. So can you, do you have the mobility to actually get your unit in range for, you know, wherever that might be. All right. Yeah. Awesome. Now, once you, and once you've done all this, or, or maybe as you're doing all this, also you're, you're coming up with that list of questions for your opponent. Yeah, absolutely. So you're like the threats to your army are, are some of those questions that you want to ask your opponent, right? So do you have anything in your army that can turn off invulnerable saves? Do you have anything in your army that makes me fight last? You know, so all the things that you put as a weakness or a threat should then, you, you know, you want to pick the top five to 10, which are the most powerful, um, and ask your opponent at the start of the game. So do you have anything that can advance in charge? Is it a unit, a stratagem, a wall or trait? Um, and obviously then it's on your opponent to be honest and tell you what they've got in their army. So you can keep an eye on where that character is or what unit you need to get rid of quickly or um, what unit you have to move block or whatever it might be. And you should have those questions in your cheat sheet ahead of time so you don't forget. You, there's so much to think about in the game that you don't just want to walk up to the table with your armor, your codex, your dice, 
in your army list, you want to make sure that you have your cheat sheet too. And even if it's two, three, four pages, have it there. It's it, nobody's going to laugh at you for having your your list of reminders. You know, in fact, most people will thank you for it because you will be able to ask those things faster and not be flipping through your codex looking for things later. Have that cheat sheet. Don't don't be ashamed. There's there's no shame in a game if you've got a cheat sheet with what strategies you're planning on using, what questions you're going to ask your opponent, all those things ahead of time because it's going to make the game go faster in the long term, and your opponent will appreciate you for being efficient and not wasting the clock while you're thumbing through your codex or thumbing through a rule book. Absolutely. And also they're getting around any gotcha moments or weird interactions like, oh, I didn't know you could make me fight last. Oh, well, if I'd have done that, then I wouldn't have done Well, because that's really unfair on your opponent to put it like that because it's not their fault that they've got it in their list. That's just a cool rule that they like. Yeah. Now, if you don't ask that question, do you have anything that makes me fight last? You know, it's not your, it's not on your opponent to go, by the way, this guy, he's going to do this and this character is going to do that. And uh, in turn three, I'm going to do this technique. And, you know, that's unfair. You, you, you know, you don't play football or soccer and go, oh, Cristiano Ronaldo, are you going to pass the ball on your left or your right? Um, and when you, you know, when you dribble, can you do it around my right hand side? Because I'm a bit stronger there on the tackle. No, you know, you, you can't do that. So, um, you know, make sure you're asking those questions appropriately. So then obviously your opponent can be honest, you know, answer them honestly. And then it's for you to figure out how you're going to get around them and solve those puzzles. Yeah. Now, um, I, when I first joined the Academy, I remember I was kind of surprised because when we were going through the list building clinic that we, it's one of the, the things we do. Um, you, one of the things you had taught everybody was pick what is one or two units that your non-negotiables, what is the unit you must have in your list come hell or high water? What is your must have and how do you, so what is, what is a must have and what, what are the, are there limits to a must have and how do you choose your must haves? Yeah. So I think, you know, we've all got, I mean, there are a few, I would say a small percentage of people that don't even care what models they use. They just want the most efficient thing. And, and that's, that's up to them. But for many of us, I think we've got our special character that we really like, or we've got our, um, you know, Beltan army color scheme that we must have. So sometimes the chapter or the legion is the must have. I must play ultramarines because I love all the lore around the ultramarines and I want to get the most out of ultramarines. Okay, cool. So that's a non-negotiable. That becomes you know, we're straight in at the top because that's something we can't change, but then we need to adapt everything else around us to, to allow us to play ultramarines, you know, in the most efficient way or in, or in a way that actually uh, works well with the ultramarines. So that could be a non-negotiable, or it might be um, a really cool converted character that you've made. Okay. So that could be a non-negotiable. It might be, um, actually, I don't want to take nine void weavers. Okay. That's a non-negotiable for me. I'm not going to take void weavers. Yep because everyone else is and I like to be a special snowflake. Um, <laughs> and I can, I can tell you mine is um, my uh, uh, tide wall shield line. I love the idea of this floating wall moving forward. The guys are, it's kind of star Warsy with these guys lined up on a, on a battle, like a castle battlement floating forward and behind this energy wall that they're shooting from. I, I love the idea of it. So I, I am doing everything I can this, this season, this year, I'm going everything I can. I will not take my Tidewall out of my list and I'm committing to it. I'm going to make it work. And so far, so good. But uh, yeah. I'm, you know, Love that's, it. that's my non-negotiable because it's a cool model. It's a cool idea. I like the playability of it. Um, and it, you know, it just checks a lot of things on my list. So 
Yeah. It has nothing to do necessarily with playability. Yeah. In the non-negotiable, we've said like one thing each, haven't we? We haven't said loads. It's right. just, here's a couple of things that I want to make sure my army is. So I think we've covered a good amount there. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, and then once you've got, once you've done all this and you've, and you've gone through, then you start your list writing. Yeah. All of these things, all these considerations, you, you, you maybe have put pen to paper, um, making your notes, making your li- your ideas of how you want this, this codex or what you want to pull out of this codex. But it's after you do all this, then you'd start your list building and then you start doing your fine tuning. Yeah. And when you fine tune it, don't change the whole thing. Just change 20%. Realize you didn't have enough buffing characters, take out a unit and put a buffing character in. Realize you didn't have enough play in the missions, take some units out and put an Inquisitor in or whatever it might be. You know, so again, you're only changing 20%. Otherwise, if you change too much, then you may as well. You're not really going to learn too much about, you know, the first time you play tested the army and the second time. There needs to be consistencies in there. So Dave, we don't have a hobby segment with James today. Oh, really? No. Oh, so what are we going to do instead? I asked Instagram if they had any listener questions. Uh-oh. <laughs> What's, what, and what question did we, get, did we come up with? Okay, so um, we had a really good question here, and it said, this is from Mini Paint Painting Goth, any tips for figuring out what army you want or what you want from an army? Well, I think we've covered that pretty well on today's I, episode. I think we have. It, w- find the army that you think is the prettiest. Yeah. So... Also asked another question, which I'm going to ask. Um, so also tips on keeping up motivation in both fitness and hobbying is obviously, you know, I'm a keen fitness enthusiast. Um, I've obviously, um, started the hashtag fit for 40 K on Instagram where, you know, I keep people posted with either my injury recovery or what I'm up to or how I stay motivated in order to try to improve. Um, so I think it'd be a great time to share some of that. So how do we keep motivation? Well, I think the most important thing for me when I keep motivation is ensuring that I understand my why. Why am I going to the gym? Why do I want to work, you know, on a Saturday recording a podcast? Why do I want to, you know, spend all day painting models or whatever it is? My why is really, really important. And I think one thing that we need to ensure that we do is understand not only why we're doing that, but we need to constantly reflect on that as well. We need to keep it in the forefront of our mind. So one of the things I do, I keep a daily planner in that planner, I bring it back to my, you know, short, medium and long-term goals. Um, I write down what I'm grateful for. I write down what's going to make today a great day. And then I, you know, divvy out my day and to make sure that I've got small manageable tasks to achieve those things. So at the end of the day, I feel like I had a sense of accomplishment because it's not the end goal that matters. It's the journey in which you take. So it's the taking your officials every day. It's making sure you drink enough water. It's going to bed at a reasonable hour. It's putting in the gym sessions, you know, three, four times a week. It's making sure you've got enough protein. It's the things that you do or your habits that you execute lead to massive impact. Not I'm just setting this goal because you're not going to get there unless you're doing all of those daily habits, whether it's, um, you know, making sure you put um, you know, you write down what paints you're using in your diet, you know, your painting journal. So it is easy to come back to painting your models again, because if they've had a bit of a break and you think, Oh, I can't get that color scheme just right. Well, that's going to break down your hobby and something that could have been easily resolved just by writing down your painting recipe or making sure you've got a plan of action for how you're going to tackle in, you know, build and paint an entire new army. You know, what sort of timescales are we looking at? So 
in order to you know maintain that motivation we need to set small achievable habits that we can do on a daily basis that takes us one step closer because if you just say right i want to paint an army in a month it's probably not going to happen so can we be a little bit more realistic with our time scales but anything else from you to add dave uh yeah i motivation has always been a been a big thing for me um going all the way back to when I was in the army and, you know, going through basic training, it's there. That's all about motivation. There's nothing but motivation to get you through that. And where are you finding your motivation? And one of the things I also, since I got out, because it, it, one of the things I've learned, um, and, it, and, it, and I learned it a lot also, I think during uh, COVID lockdown was I finding motivation wasn't just about, cause I was, you know, when you're, when you're trying to find motivation for something that you want to do, something that you normally enjoy doing and you just go, oh, I don't want to do that today. I just, uh. Ask yourself the question, why aren't you motivated today? What is it that is, um, what is it that is the mental roadblock or that is the, the impediment to you achieving what it is that you know in your heart you really want to do? I really want to finish painting this, this unit up, but I just don't feel like picking up a paintbrush today. Oh, I really need to, you know, whatever it is. Uh, I really need to, you know, go, you know, do two miles on the treadmill. I really need to get out and do a walk. I don't really want to do that. What is the thing that is in your way? What is it that is, um, that is the impediment? Maybe you didn't drink enough water and you're, you're just feeling dehydrated and you don't notice it until you stop and just do that self-analysis and that, that kind of self-care routine. Maybe something you haven't gotten enough sleep and you're just, you know, running yourself in the ground trying to do too much in a day. Find what it is that's that is your impediment and do what you can to remove that. And your motivation should naturally come back in like like you know, taking a blockage out of a pipe. The water will flow through again once you remove that blockage. And then, like you said, with small goals, setting small goals. My my big thing for painting was, you know, I, I sit down, I go, Oh God, I got I got two, you know, I, I got I'm, right now I'm trying to repaint my entire tower army. Oh my God, because I've I've got three, four thousand points, but I have a whole new paint paint scheme I want to do. And oh God, I don't want to paint the whole damn army. Oh, it's going to take me forever. And then I just go, no, you know what? I pick a unit. I'm just going to paint that unit this week. And I'm just going to, and then, uh, you know, sit down airbrush in the morning. I'll get up in the morning. I put the dogs out and then I sit down and I very quickly um, airbrush my base coat. And then I go do my other things in the afternoon. And, and then in the afternoon, I come home for lunch and I just do the eyes or I just do something. Yeah. Just pick a detail and do that. Do, do all the pouches on your space marine belts. Do paint all the guns today on a unit. Just do one unit or one character model a week. Set yourself a reasonable small goal to achieve. Yeah. And if you are doing an army, like you said there, you can actually just get on your journal and write down all the things. So you need to do, you need to block in, you know, the black areas, you need to paint the silver, the weapons, the pouches, the leather. You could just write it all down and just tick it off as you've done that entire unit's pouches or whatever. I think the other thing just to pick up on there, one thing you mentioned there, Dave, is um, when it comes to asking yourself, sometimes oh, I can't be bothered to do that. So I can't be bothered to go to the gym. You then need to ask yourself, am I happy with the result if I don't do that? Am I happy with the consequences? And sometimes you're like, actually, I don't want to feel this way. You know, I don't want to feel like I'm out of shape or I'm not. For me, I don't want to feel weak. I want to feel strong. So I'm like, right, no. Because I have those days where I don't want to go to the gym. I don't really want to go this morning. But I did because I knew that I wouldn't be happy with the consequence. And my want to alleviate that pain um, was greater than my current, you know, amount of being comfortable just sat in my bed watching telly in the morning, whatever it was. So, again, just asking yourself, am I happy with, you know, the 
the reaction to my action is something that's really important. So uh, I think we've, no, I think that's really, really good and some really great tips there uh, from both of us in order to help people stay a little bit more motivated, whether it's in whatever they do in life, but start with why are you doing it and what do you want your identity to be? Uh, Cause that's going to really, really help. If your identity becomes, I'm somebody that paints a model every day, guess what? You're going to paint a lot of models by the end of the year. If your identity is somebody that, you know, I'm a healthy living individual that, you know, looks after themselves, then guess what you're probably going to do? You're going to go to the supermarket and make smarter choices. You're going to work out more often than you're, you know, you don't, or, you know, you're going to make sure you're staying hydrated and ultimately you become somebody that is a health seeking individual. Um, but yeah, having that in changing your mindset is so important. Time for one more question. Yeah, I think so. So I think I put it in the Google document. Can you find it? Uh, oh, yeah. You had uh, top tips for a TO running their first event. Nice. There we go. I knew, I knew there was something. So top tips for running your first event. I'll, I'll do a few. You do a few. And uh, hopefully by the end of this, somebody's going to have a really good idea as to what they should do. So the first thing is understand your player needs for your area. So if you're in an area which doesn't have a huge amount of, you know, competitive player base, don't run a grand tournament. Run a run an event that is going to be potentially more suitable to the player base that you have. So maybe what you're going to do is run the new Tempest of War cards because they're really cool and, you know, they don't if you're, you know, working with people that don't understand picking secondaries, they can draw a card and just achieve those. So again, you can tailor the type of event based on the player base and ensuring that you're getting a good player base there and interest is going to lead to larger, more successful events in the future because you're going to nurture um, and create a really fantastic gaming community. So that'd be my first tip. Any from you, Dave? Yeah, plan ahead, plan ahead, plan ahead. Um, you, the, the last thing that players want to do is walk into a, an event Saturday morning or Friday afternoon uh, and walk in, and you know the 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 announcement says two thousand point forty k tournament doors open at nine a.m. and that's all you got. And you walk in, it's a oh well we got to set up terrain. Oh let me hold on, I got to figure out what missions we're playing today. Oh I got to no you you need to you need to plan ahead and you need to have a player pack ready either at the tables or better yet posted online ahead of time for whatever the event page, Facebook page, Instagram, whatever it is you're going to do to advertise your event. Put your player pack out there. It doesn't need to be the the 15 page packet like LVO puts out though. That's great. But if you're just running a local RTT, you're just going to have a, you know, 12, 20 player event that you're doing at your local game store. That's great. But still put out, let people know in advance, Hey, have the terrain set up the night before, let people know, Hey, these are the, the three of the three missions we're going to play on Saturday. This is, these are, these are the missions you can plan for. And then, um, and, and, you know, all terrain will be considered obscuring. I know there, there there's uh, an event this weekend um, and leads yeah. that, that some of the guys are playing at that um, is all the terrain come no matter what it is or, or all terrain will be following the rules as set out in the 40 K terrain keyword rules. Let yeah. people know those basics. So they don't feel like they've already gotten gotcha before they even walk into an event and not by their opponent, but by the TO. Do you know what that saves you? A lot of questions. Yeah, yeah. As a TO, it will definitely save you a lot of questions and hearing TO, TO all over the, the all over the game store all day long. Because you'll be yeah. running yourself ragged. Yeah, I agree. You want to make sure your player pack includes 
where the event's going to be held, how much it's going to cost, locations on how to get there, best place to park, you know, accommodation if people need to stay over, places to get food from. Is there food at the venue? If not, then tell people to bring some, you know, bring a packed lunch or whatever. In, if it's just a vending machine, that's not suitable for providing food. So make sure that, you know, people have options so that they can plan ahead. Make sure it's clear when list submission is. Make sure it's clear when your rules cutoff's going to be for, you know, amendments by Games Workshop or codexes that are going to be released. Oh, we're going to be running the new NID codex or we're going to be running the new Eldar, whatever. It needs to be clear. Okay. Um, you know, always have that, you know, deadline as a Sunday, a Sunday night. The, so if your event's on the Saturday, um, you know, have your rules cut off and maybe your list submission the Sunday before. So people have got, you know, a good six days or whatever it is uh, in case something new comes out to read up on it or listen to a podcast or whatever. So there's a clear cut off of when rules are going to be. So you've told people, you know, the locations, the logistics, you know, have a little bit in there about sportsmanship and fair play and how important that is. Like Dave said, you know, you've got the the missions that you're going to be playing, maybe an example, some pictures of the terrain that you're going to be using so people can have an idea of what that's going to look like. Um, and that's the other thing. If you do not have enough tables of terrain, then do not oversell tickets. You only want to sell enough tickets that you can put on the table. Really good, not only looking terrain, but functional terrain as well. Okay, so if you can do 10 tables of good looking terrain and there's enough great only sell 10 ticket you know 20 tickets don't start trying to push the boundaries for more ticket sales because it's going to dilute your event and you won't you'll get people moaning um you'll get people complaining that the terrain's terrible uh, and they won't come back again whereas if you just do a really a smaller event but actually people leave thinking that was great value for money really enjoyed all my experiences i didn't get shot off the table turn one um, you know, and, you know, on, for example, on the Vanguard Tactics stream nights, we show a picture of where all of our terrain is placed. Use those as a really good example. If you're on the Academy, we share with you all of our map packs. So you know where terrain should be placed for a fair and balanced game, because that is the most important thing. And as a TO, that's your responsibility. Yeah. Also in your player pack, tell them what they're going to need. You need your rule book. You need your, um, you know, your chapter approved. You need your codex. Um, and then also on hand, make sure you've either got printed off ahead of time all of the FAQs from Games Workshop or you've got good internet access. Okay, there's no excuse for not being able to find a rule properly. Um, and then when it's actually on the day, do a welcoming speech. Hey, I'm the TO. This is me. If you have a problem or you have a question, do not be afraid to come and see me or ask for help. I'd rather everybody question a rule and get my verdict so people can play the game in the same way consistently across the entire event. Um, you know, it's not a bad thing to, you know, call a TO, whatever. If you're going to be using chess clocks, then show or teach people how to use that. If there's any weird terrain that you need to explain what it does, go through those. And then don't forget the basics. Where's the fire escape? Where do people meet if there's a if the fire alarm goes off or whatever it might be as well? So then it just makes your event feel a lot more professional. And then ensure at the end you've got a really good closing uh, ceremony as well. So just to congratulate the winners for best painted hobby track, um, you know, best sporting. Um, and the other thing I would say, my last tip is charge good money. Don't just do it for a fiver because you enjoy doing it. You need to make sure that this is sustainable, okay? Because there's going to be a day when you're not going to enjoy it, but you're going to want to run the event to keep continuity for your members. But there's going to be that day when you're knackered. 
There's going to be that day when you need to buy new terrain because a set got broke. There's going to be that day where you need to expand into, um, you know, oh, I want to stream, you know, so actually you need to start saving for a streaming set or whatever it might be. Um, or you need more rule books, whatever. You need to buy new tables, more mats because you want to expand, make terrain, and then also expect to play the tax man because that's probably a thing as well. <laughs> so um, don't just do it for free because it's your hobby. Do it and set it up as a, a business and it'll be successful because it'll be sustainable. You could pay someone to be a TO for the day. You know, if you can't make it because you're ill, it means that the event still goes ahead. You maintain a great reputation and you enjoy doing it. Yeah. And, and also, um, listen to podcasts, listen to pay attention, not just us, but you know, listen to forge the narrative that Fun uh, gaming. Everybody Paul Murphy runs and some of the FLG stuff. Uh, you know, listen to some of those other podcasts because you will not, you will hear how other people run events. You will hear about also some of the current meta questions, some of the issues. Don't be afraid to make a rule to make, you know, to clarify what maybe Games Workshop hasn't done in an FAQ yet, but you know, should be done. Like saying, for example, Forge World or, or um, uh, Farsight Allied Worlds can't actually have an ethereal. Uh, you know, put that in your player pack, you know, decide what those try to head off as much of those rules debates ahead of time as possible in your, in your player pack. Yep. Like the troop having core or not. Correct. Yeah. Like, yeah. Like, like Harlequin's not having, uh, troops not having core keyword. All Harlequin troops models will be considered to have core keyword, you know, or all Harlequin's troops units will be considered to have core keyword. Yeah. It doesn't matter what your decision is. The most important thing is making a decision. Yeah. Yeah. And don't be afraid to stick by your decision. Make a rule and stick to it. And this needs to be done before list submission. You tell me before list submission, I amended my list because I knew I wouldn't have the core keyword. So I didn't bring my Harlequin horde. I put them all in boats because I knew ahead of time. I, I mean, I did have to ask, are they getting it or not? And they said no, but some of the other things were in there or, and I actually contributed questions that became in the FAQ then for that, you know, mission pack. So if there's somebody in your local area that loves competitive play and they're up on all this kind of stuff, they're listening to our podcast or you are, um, you know, say, Hey, do you mind writing down a load of questions people have, and then put that in your player pack with the, your frequently asked questions section. So anyway, Dave, I want to say a massive thank you for coming on to today's show. Yeah. Thanks sir. Uh, thanks for, uh, uh, working with my work schedule this week. I know I had to be in court a lot. So uh, I'm glad we were able to do this on a Saturday and, and uh, get back to doing the podcast. So yeah, me too. Uh, so that's it for this week. Uh, next week, I think we're going to try to talk about innovating uh, with your tournament list and not just sticking to, to meta or net lists uh, and not feeling trapped in. And we may possibly have a special guest. Uh, you'll have to find tune in to find out who that is. So uh, until then, this is Dave Colmel for Stephen Box saying Goonies never say die. Dave, thank you so much. <laughs> uh, and thank you, and I'll see you all next week on the Competitive 40K Podcast. Take care.